Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I hope that wherever I'm coming at you in your ear that it is a good day, wherever you're at, a good moment. And I'm really excited for us to dive deep this week. So you, we all know that relationships are under a form of, I think is sort of a revolution and expansion. And that is both that we demand more from our relationships of today, which requires more of us. And this can be complex in the world of dating, of course, because we have so many beliefs about dating and that things have changed. And gosh, back in my day, life was different. You know, back when we were younger, we actually cared about commitment. You guys, you youngins don't care about commitment. I don't know why that was an accent from the South, but just roll with me here. Look, every previous generation usually judges younger generations for how they do things. And it's because we fear the change. We fear growth. We fear expansion. We fear um, more being required of us. We also like to project our own virtues and values onto other people. And that keeps us safe and also keeps our identity safe. Because, you know, look, there are some virtues and values that are, you know, religiously based that are not necessarily healthy, you know, that that we believe that sexuality, often we have a misconception that sexuality, oh, desires unhealthy, sex is the devil. But no, being afraid to talk about things leads to the devil. Uh, hiding things leads to the devil. I mean, I don't mean the devil in like this scary thing that's going to come get you. But I mean it from the sense that what you put away and don't talk about just still live there. It's not like it's, oh, let's just not talk about that thing. Do, 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 do. It's still fucking there. If anything, and it has a goddamn spotlight on it, especially if you got a few too many spirits in you, right? Spirits being the word for hard liquor, being the idea that spirits came out of you when you drank too much of it. And you know, if you drink enough of those things, you will have something take you over. It's not usually good at very many things either, especially talking. So, you know, it's important that we explore our beliefs about relationship and what we think about them and how we, our own fears, because, you know, often people are reactive to this conversation that divorce uh, can be a good thing or that breakups can be a good thing. Of course they can be a good thing. Anyone logical knows they can be a good thing because it's not divorce that's the issue. It's dysfunctional relationships that are the issue. You know, this is what we don't understand. It's not divorce that's bad. It's that relational dysfunction breeds human dysfunction. And we all, you know, you can't escape childhood without some wounds. I mean, that's just the nature of being human. We're going to face challenges, challenges invite us to build grit and resilience and to learn and to grow. That's the purpose of being a human is to make mistakes, to grow, to transform, to make errors. And that occurs in relationship, that occurs in who you choose as a partner. That occurs constantly. And that's the beauty of life if you are given this space to learn. And so through the last 100 years, 50 years, 20 years, 10 years, five years, one year, two months, us as a collective have learned a lot more about what we want and what's okay and what's not. Thank God, right? Thank God we are 
actually paying attention to the fact that you can't treat people certain ways, that we shouldn't be treating our planet certain ways, that in relationship, it's not just about you meet my expectations, you, you keep quiet, you don't do this, you know, like we are, don't have emotions, you know, that we say to men or like, don't be too much to women and everything in between fit into those boxes of, of gender and all this stuff. What a beautiful opportunity for us to discuss this changing nature of relationship and what is actually being demanded of us. If you demand more, be more. You can't be more. You can't demand more if you're not more. Are you showing up for the expectations that you project out into the world? Can you meet them? Can you meet your standards? Do you use standards as a wall? You know, because I hear people say like, your expectations are too high. They say that to other people or someone, you might've heard that yourself. Do you use expectations as a wall? You'll know if you do. If you've not managed to get close to anyone, likely use expectations as a wall. Or you come up with things like, it's so hard to date in insert the city because everyone who lives in the city where they're afraid of intimacy and closeness just inserts the city. Now I'm not discrediting that sometimes it's hard to date or challenging when you load up the old Tinder and all of a sudden it's like filled with dick pics. You know, I get that. That's not a great, that's, you might as well just get Dinder, Dicter. And that could be an app where you just swipe dick pics. Okay. Yeah, that's a bad joke. But you know what I'm saying? That the, sure, there are challenges, but there's always been challenges in dating and relationship. This isn't new. You know, before though, if you wanted to, like date more than one person, you had a horse. So how are you going to date more than one person? You go to a farm, go see them. You know, their dad had a shotgun. And if you were dating more than one, you didn't have the time. But at least technology is like, at least it's facilitated low accountability behavior and breadcrumbs that were like, oh yeah, like they just, they message me every once in a while, but you know, like they're really busy and we just like set low accountability because we don't want to be disappointed and we don't want to ask for more and then be let down. And we also don't want to have to grow our self-worth to meet the fact that we believe we're worthy of more. So if you believe you're worthy of more, you have to set your standards for more. And that means you have to wait for more. And that means you have to become more. And so all of it requires responsibility. Will you hold to wait for the thing that you say you want? Because the universe is going to test you. The universe is going to test you, and you're going to see if you pass the test or not. And if you don't pass the test, it doesn't mean you start at square one. It means that you go again, and you continue, and you keep seeing, do you pass the test? Or, and that's the beauty of life. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating, and that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions, questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that, that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say that's too hard to ask or it's too soon to ask that or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, 
the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks, and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swipe left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. So this week, I got Michelle Herzog on. I met her uh, a couple years ago. I've been waiting to get her on this uh, podcast. We talk about dating. We talk about relationships, dating. She's a sex therapist as well. So it's a beautiful deep dive with this brilliant, funny, funny human. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Before we get into the episode, wherever you actually listen to this podcast, hit subscribe. Join me, subscribe, get notified when a new one of these little gems pops up into your ear. Aren't you so excited when you get a little notification that says, Mark Gross podcast episode released, and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to hear this. I know, I get the same excitement about other people's podcasts, and my own, I love recording them and doing them, so thank you also for helping facilitate this container that I get to do this. That's such a beautiful, and I have so much gratitude for that, that this is the conversation I get to be part of as I'm learning and growing and expanding and changing my own views and my own identity shifts as I learn more. We all are. And that's such a beautiful gift that that we get to do this together. So go hit subscribe, please. That's helpful. And let's do this. Today, I'm excited to be talking about dating. Dating, 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 and relationships of 2020, which will date this podcast itself. Um, and so I'm blessed to have Michelle Herzog, who is both a relationship and sex therapist and an LMFT. So welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Has anyone ever done like a boxing intro for an LMFT before? I felt like I kind of did the end in the right corner. I feel like that's appropriate. I feel like we should do that now. For I feel all like LMFT. it really. Yeah, they should all be excited when they enter the room, you know? I agree. So yeah. dating, that's not a complex bag at all, right? No, we should be able to wrap that up all. in a bow in an hour. I think so. Probably not, but we can try. <laughs> <laughs> and we can certainly try. And maybe the, the, the way to start this off, because who knows where it might take us, but maybe to start it off is what is the dating culture that you tend to see most today 
or like what is something that you're like, ooh, the the like framework of it? So the thing that I'm seeing most often from clients and from the people who attend our dating workshops is uh, this kind of toxic dating culture or this part of dating culture that has become very negative for people and very disheartening. And I think that's, you know, toxic dating culture is a lot of things, right? It's like the games we play. It's this idea that there are a ton of options out there for us. Like we're kind of shopping through a supermarket, right? It's, it's the fact that we are taking people's shitty behaviors and we're naming them, right? Like ghosting and breadcrumbing and all those things, like giving trendy names to things and expecting that to happen and, and for that to be our experience. And people really just feeling burned out by the fact that they're cycling through person after person and having the same experience over and over again, or what they feel like is the same experience, and becoming really down and losing confidence around whether or not they're going to be able to find a partner and kind of create these meaningful relationships for themselves. That's kind of what I see and what what I work with most often um, in my therapy world. Yeah, because of course, when people are dating and they trendy names for dating behaviors is very mm-hmm. fascinating, like zombieing and ghosting, and you know, it's a it's crazy. People love to share about as soon as you like use any of those terms, people mm-hmm. are like, oh my, and then they we sort of like wound dump our own stuff together in Me this too. little celebration. It's it's a way to connect and build community. So I I understand and respect that, right? Like people need mm-hmm. to be able to sit and say, I was ghosted or I was ghosted again, or this person like benched me and what do I do with that? Right. Mm-hmm. What's funny, what's funny is that people have been doing those shitty behaviors for years, even before online dating became a thing. It's just uh, we're really yeah. creative now and like we can give things names, right? And we have social yeah, media like- to like spread the word. <laughs> Yeah, which brings awareness to the behavior, much like Me Too, much like, you know, that much even like choice and democracy Mm -hmm. and the ability to choose your religion, you know, like all these different ways that we are like, oh, I can see that this is also going on and it's very pervasive, where before we lived in these silos of information. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you know, you can, you can call someone out pretty easily publicly. And that makes us more accountable to our behaviors. But at the same time, you know, it, it almost is like a, you know, I hear especially a lot like, oh, dating today is so superficial. And I'm like, people have always been superficial. It's just that swiping magnifies our superficiality because we actually see how superficial we are. But we're doing that walking down the street. Anyway, you're standing in line at Starbucks being like left, right, bye, hello. Yes. Yes. Online dating just just provides this platform for like a rapid fire, mm. constantly connected in our pocket, in our face, right? Like just just this this opportunity to say, huh, I am in the line at Starbucks, but I'm bored. So while I'm filtering, you know, IRL, I'm also going to filter on my phone at the <laughs> same time and not be present with anything I'm doing. Yeah, which feels very much, you know, like we have at least sent the message that women are good at multitasking and men, I mean, we already know we're definitely I mean, not. Are we good at yeah. multitasking? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like multitasking is not even a real thing. It's just, no. it's just quickly switching between tasks. Right. You know, but the ability for us, you know, because I'm sure you hear this all the time too, like you can't meet people today, you know, out in public. I don't want to use apps. And it's like, 
get your head out of your fucking phone and look up. So, so that's so interesting to me because when people come to our workshops, one of the questions that we get the most is, okay, how do we meet people in the real world? And I like, I, I wish, so I'm, I'm in Chicago, right? So I wish I could tell them like, here is the place that you go to, to meet people, but that doesn't really exist. Like there, there isn't a place it's you re-engaging with your surroundings in a different way and actually like trying to make eye contact and spark conversation. It doesn't have to lead anywhere, but you're at least practicing like some of your social skills, right? And like not being yeah. attached to your phone. And then the other thing is like break out of your comfort zone, do things that you typically wouldn't do to meet different kinds of people. Maybe it's an intramural sport or joining like a board and like volunteering for an organization, like do something different that involves other people that you can con- like, like you can connect to. And if it doesn't lead to love, that's okay. It could lead to friendship and friendship's mm-hmm. good too, right? Like, so don't, and, and, and that's the other thing I say. I'm like, don't like do these things because you're trying to find a partner. Like do these things because you're trying to enhance your life and these, and, and that these kinds of activities would enhance your life and potentially bring you new kinds of connections, love interests or not. Well, when it comes from that non-desperate, scarce, intentional place, it's like, if I meet you in line at Starbucks and I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to get this girl. You know, it's such a different energy than, hey, how, just be present. And I will, after our interaction, my only intention is that we are both left better people. Yeah. And I feel like that's where we're losing some of the, some of the accountability. Like mm-hmm. we're treating people like, you know, a brand of pasta in the shopping store, like on the shelf. And we're not necessarily treating them like a human on the other end of an app or even in person. Sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like dating apps have even desensitized us from how we interact on the street. So, so I think that that's an important point of like leaving someone, you know, better than you found them and really engaging in an ethical way and in a mm-hmm. kind way. So people are feeling more positive about dating experiences and, you know, their interactions with you and whatnot. Yeah. I find dating to be such a healing journey because you be. yeah, like it can, of course there's obviously pain that occurs in dating yeah. too, especially with like ghosting and benching. I don't really get because if someone put me on the bench, I'd be like, peace out. Like, what are you just going to call me in and put me in when you need to win the game? I don't even know what winning the game means. Feels like I'm losing. When I think about dating as an opportunity to heal, I think of it from you're only going to tolerate behaviors that match the level of worth you hold. So yeah. we are so used to, and I think this, I'm going to gender normalize here, but I would feel as though women are used to having tolerating low accountability behavior to just, I mean, that's the, that's sort of been the evolutionary curation of patriarchy is that um, you tolerate just to have providing and protection. And that has now transcended where, you know, I know as a male, I want to be more than just a provider and protector. I don't, I don't necessarily even want to be in that box sometimes, you know? So it's like as males and females and everything in between step out of gendered roles, 
it challenges our dating because our dating is so, and our relationships are so curated by biology and evolution that there's just so many things to play with and dance with and question. And that's, that's so interesting because even like in that kind of gendered situation, there are expectations that play out within dating between men and women, right? Like who pays for the first date yeah. and who asks the person out first, right? And then who asks for the second date if there's going to be one? And this kind of like built-in kind of series of expectations mm-hmm. and, and, and requests and requirements that I, I find to be very interesting. And, and when I talk to women in my office, because I, I actually mostly see women who are experiencing dating issues. I've seen men in the past. Um, some of my staff members see a lot of men. So it just, this mm-hmm. is just kind of like who we've gotten right on our, on our caseloads. But, um, when I talk to women, I say to them, you know, what's keeping you from asking this person out on a second date, if you liked your first date with them, um, what, what feels uncomfortable about splitting the bill on the first date, mm-hmm. you know, talk to me about this, this idea that you should be courted. Like, tell me where that comes from. Why is that a value to you? Right. Because I I, want to understand those things. If they're just built in like gender, like gender norms, I want to challenge that. But if it's someone's like value system, like, oh, well, this is how my parents dated. And this is actually very important to me. And I feel like I want to be courted. And and I feel like I, I want that person to take me out on a date and pay for the first couple of dates. Like, that's important to me because it shows that they're putting effort in. That's a different story. Right. But, but I want to understand But the gender stuff is always fascinating to me. Mm-hmm, and, me and I, and I, I, and I'm, I'm a woman, right? So I, I can't really comment on the male perspective, but I am so curious about the male perspective as, you know, men are dating, swiping, messaging, and going through all of these kind of things that they're going through on, on their end. And maybe that's what? something you can provide, but... <laughs> well, I think what's confusing for men is the messaging that there's to embrace the empowered woman and mm. the woman who is the provider, yeah. the stepping into that, and then be expected to pay on the first date when they're supposed to make space for the woman to take on the role, right. quote unquote, the masculine. And so they are like, oh, let's split this or we're equal. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, and then in that, though, is still the underlined gender roles operating as our mate selection that, you know, it's like in, uh, I remember in this research on speed dating, people expressed ahead of time what they wanted. And then of course, as soon as they had chemistry with someone, what they wanted went out the fucking window. You know, it's like, they're like, Ooh, fleeting butterflies. I'll just go to that because we're still, I think this is a fascinating time to be alive because we're really what's what's sort of in I don't want to say in conflict but it's finding a way to integrate it is what is a biological drive from a soul expression authenticity drive like how do you you have to observe your biological nuances and why you want a provider but then you want to be, you know and I don't none's right or wrong or judge there's no judgment mm-hmm. here it's just the scripts that are actually going on underneath the dating experience mhm i I, I'm very curious about that. And I'm, I'm very curious about our value systems related to that. Because Mm -hmm. I feel like, or at least my hope is that people are leading more from their values now than they are their like biology. I'm like, I'm, I'm like questioning that, like, 
but can you change our, our biological like instincts? I don't know, you know? Um, so that is really interesting in terms of the integration. Well, can you, cause I think this is maybe more of a, my, like a simpler, uh, understanding of it is it's like, if you take a cold shower, a cold shower will tell your body that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're not going to die. You're actually incredibly safe. So if you can observe the body's response, Mm-hmm. You can choose not to respond to the fear of the cold, um, which is not to make us numb of fears because fear is important, but to know when your fear that is not realistic or even your biological drive, like you can have the drive to want to have sex with someone and choose not to have sex with them, right? It's just like I can have the drive like my biology says, I need a good provider versus oh, wait, but this person that's in front of me is both compassionate and empathic and kind and doesn't make them $250,000 a year. But wow, they're in their purpose. And maybe they're not going to be able to take care of me just on their own, but we can do that. And so we have so many gendered roles that are being challenged that we're still choosing to participate in. We are. No, I I absolutely agree with you, which is, again, why I ask people the questions like, Mm -hmm. why is that so important to you? And why do you feel like you need to check these boxes with someone so you have this like set of things and maybe that's someone who can support you, provide for you, pay for all the dates, you know, take you on vacations, whatever it is, But, but really understanding like why you need that versus what you are really looking for in terms of connecting to a person. Because at the end of the day, connection is what matters, at least in my book, right? At least that's what I try to help people with, like connection, Um, authentic, genuine, two people deeply in love, connection. Yeah, it's interesting that the deepest human need is that being seen and to see, Yeah, you know, that intimacy, that safety, like that there's an inherent safety to be seen and, and of course, to be cared for and to trust the other yeah. person. And at the same time, what lives in the superficial choices is that we've all been taught to attach to something that's survival-based rather than connection-based. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's interesting is, you know, when, when I work with couples and, and as soon as one person feels like they're no longer being seen in the relationship or when they recognize that oh my gosh, I don't think I've ever been seen in this relationship. Yeah. It completely detach, they completely detach from the partner because they feel no longer safe and supported and heard and respected, right? It's, it's like this, it's this, it's this revelation of, I feel like I've given so much of myself and for what? you don't even see me in the way that I need you to see me. And then when I try to help people, well, tell me what you need to be seen. I don't know. It's so mm-hmm. interesting yeah. for people to like, really think about this, uh, to, to, to describe this, like, what does it mean to be seen? And, and it makes me curious in terms of like the dating stuff. Like if, if someone's out there dating and they're like trying to be seen by these people that they don't really know yet, right? Like how are they kind of trying to get their needs met in, in the process? Does, does that make sense? Like, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's such, for me, this dance is about understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have been taught essentially to self-abandon for a relationship, you know, oh, to survive, right? hundred um, percent. 
And that's true of no matter the gender, you know, is that, is that like males detached from their emotional connection to themselves and women detached from their purpose and to step into their own power and voice. And of course I'm again, generalizing. And then the have to do that sometimes. And What's fascinating, I think, at least in my own experience and in my past relationships, especially in the most recent one, is like, how do we hold on to who we are and be in love? How do we, that's why I think dating is so powerful because you start to see the nuances of where do I self-abandon? Where do I make connection more important than my values? Where do I settle for low accountability bullshit behavior because it's just enough? It's enough. I've, I've conditioned to think that I I should just take breadcrumbs. Right. You know, what an opportunity. And and, and that's that is much deeper work, right? That's like attachment yeah. trauma playing out. That's low self-esteem playing out. That's feeling like your sense of self-worth is just not high enough to even, you know, fathom that that you could have someone actually treat you the way that you deserve to be treated, right? Like those are deep deep issues. And part of really helping people kind of navigate their dating landscape and like how they're actually connecting to people and what kinds of people they're connecting to is really getting them to dive into, well, how do you relate? Like how, how have you related to people in the past? Tell me about your family of origin, like all like the therapy stuff, right? Like all the things that we like us therapists love to dig into with people, but really helping them find their sense of worth and setting their self up with some really strong boundaries. Boundaries is like the word of the year, I feel like. It's the best it kinda, though. It, it kind of needs to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then leading your dating experience from this new sense of what you want and what kind of experience that you want to have based on the work that you've done. When When we have injured people in the dating fear, constantly injuring other people, it becomes a problem. And it's a systemic problem that is that, that I'm worried is it's not going to stop because there are people not doing their work. I feel like there's a lot of things that can found to that. One is no one has to take a test to have a baby. No, nope. you know, that's uh, you don't have to. Often babies are made from trauma bonds. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, we're not doing very well. We should have a baby. We should that actually. Yeah. Or we should get married. That that makes sense. <laughs> That's such a good idea. We should bring a child. We should make a child in charge of keeping us together. Yeah. Because, you know, nothing better than a baby being glue, you know, yep. for two people. And so that's, I mean, you have that sort of process. If you don't take responsibility, even as the person who identifies as being hurt constantly in dating, yeah. there's still a bit of, um, like, there's still a bit of righteousness even in that, 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 of course, like, there's still space for the pain that dating can bring. Mm-hmm. But when we look at the results we get in our dating life, we are the common denominator. You know, I hear so many people be like, why do I attract unavailable people? Why do I attract narcissists? And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, the better question is, why are you a match for those people? Yeah. And I, I just learned that that is a term, by the way, called flea bagging. <laughs> it's a new flea-bagging. dating term. Which one's Flea that? bagging. So flea bagging means that you are constantly dating people who are bad for you. Um, I guess flea-bagging. it's based on a show called Fleabag. I don't know. I oh, seen Fleabag is really funny. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but it's like, it's, oh, it's based she on She is that. a disaster. Okay. Well I, well, I should watch it then. But, but I, 
again, it was another instance where I was like, but literally people have been doing this forever. <laughs> like people have yeah, been this dating isn't new. other, yeah, this is not new, but again, let's attach attorney name to it. And that's okay. At least it makes people pay attention to it. it you does. know, they're like, I've been bagging and they're like, ha ha. And then it becomes funny. And then we pound wine sharing about our flea bags, you know, over a cab. <laughs> Nothing washes down flea bagging better than a Cabernet Sauvignon. Absolutely. I want to make a clear, like, like a more clear point when, mm-hmm. when I say like injured people dating injured people, like you can have injuries, right? Like you can have some deep work that you still have to do and still date in a healthy way. Yeah. Right. It could be and the healing. It, it can be the healing and, and you can really work through, yeah, all, all of your quote unquote stuff, right. As you're dating other people, um, and really learn something about yourself in the process. Amen. Because you know, when you're in that dating space, because I get asked all the time, I'm sure you do. It's like, when is the right time to start dating? And I'm like, look, if it feels heavy to be dating, then don't do it yet. If you just got out of a relationship, let's be honest, you're not ready. You know, when they say to get over the X, get under the next, that doesn't actually work. Just so we're clear, you're going to get an emotional bandaid of an emotional prostitute to band-aid your pain so that you don't mm-hmm. have to deal with it. And humans should never be that for other humans, but we do it because we're human and it's yep. learned so we behavior. Do. We need to Seriously. feel better immediately, right? So that's what we try to do to kind of cut ourselves off from feeling anything that we're supposed to feel or that we need to feel to heal. And when clients do that or or when you know people talk to me about this kind of stuff all the time. So like when they kind of quote unquote rebound, right? I yeah. I just sit and wait. I just sit and wait. I'm like, okay, these are your choices. And we will come back to this when you feel like you're ready to talk about why you did this, you know? It's so true. It is. It is so true. It's like you tell someone like, don't touch the stove. And they're like, fucking burning the shit out of my hand. I'll be back when I'm roasting and my hands in flames. Yeah. It's like, watch me. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I always just trust that people need to feel more of a bottom, but I'm not going to stand between someone and their bottom, you know, and that's, that's the nature. We wake up when we wake up, the right words hit us when the right words hit us. And, and instead of shaming that, it's like, okay, you did it. I mean, when I worked one-on-one with clients, I would say we'd have agreements like, okay, you need to take a little break from dating so you can you can observe how you relate to space with yourself, the space that you fill with other people. And I learned that through my own need to mm-hmm. <laughs> to observe the space. Yeah, and I knew how too. valuable that was. You know, it was like getting over a drug. It very much was. I remember holding my phone, wanting to text a girl, being like, Yeah, I can't do it. I have to like put down the phone. And what inevitably happens 99.999% of the time is the person will say, but I met this person who, and it's always before their agreement ends. Yeah, I met this person and they were covered in coconut oil. And <laughs> I had a couple, I don't know, what do people shoot now? Tequilas? Like, and I, I don't know. <laughs> sex on the beach or whatever. And, and then, you know, he just got out of a relationship, but he's so almost ready. Like he's just, and it's always this test. Like, are you, do you keep your word with yourself? Yeah. And they fa- generally failed at first, but then they learn, you know. But that's good, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I do think people need to fail when it comes to how they relate to others so they can learn what actually works for them going forward. I mean, I um, needed to stumble. Me too. One of the best things I did for myself 
on a personal note, when I ended a very long-term relationship was I took a break and I like spent significant time with myself and doing Mm -hmm. things that I wanted to do by myself. And it was some of the most healing things I've ever done. Was I sad? Of course. Was I lonely? Mm -hmm. Sure. Was I tempted by dating apps and websites? Hell yes, I was. But I, I was very intentional about whether or not I interacted in those things. I mean, it was some of the best best work I could have ever done for myself. It's such a gift to give ourselves that space, yeah. to observe the allure, the biological pull, what grief makes us want to do. Because mm-hmm. I've certainly, I mean, I've been now broken up for five months and I'm not dating. I have no interest in dating because I know that I'm not ready yet. Like it's, I would be choosing it from a place where I'd be bringing my grief into someone else's hands and I want to be able to hold both. I, you know, you can do both but not yet. And I I think of being able to, there's like part of the dating process that I found very powerful for me in shifting my sense of worth was, and I, and I think this is so powerful for people to practice when they're dating is to ask themselves, like, if I really loved myself, what would I do in this situation? Yeah. I really had a sense of high self-worth because you don't get high self-worth if you don't act like you have it, if you don't choose it. So that's why I think dating is like this magical healing elixir of chaos covered in coconut oil. Oh, it is chaotic. And it can include coconut oil. Yeah, it can. <laughs> Depends kind of what you're into, but you know yeah. what I mean. No, no, I do. Um, yeah, I that that grief part is is really interesting. You know, being able to kind of sit in your grief and work through your grief so you're actually strong enough to not abandon yourself moving forward which, which, you know, you're, you're going to come up against in a toxic dating environment in in a toxic dating culture of like, potentially being treated like crap over and over again, and like mm. really coming back to yourself and saying, Okay, this is not me, right? Like, I've done the work, I can't control other people, I can look at what I've contributed to this situation, if I did contribute something, yeah. and I can move on and and look at this as a learning experience and filter this into my box of, okay, not the kind of person I want to spend my time with. Yes. Amen to that. Like gathering more information, more data. Hell yes. Cause man, when you date someone where like, I find that to be interesting when two people talk about something like Tinder with totally different experiences. Cause of course I can go pull the world and find people who got married and found their partners who are tremendous people from Tinder. Mm-hmm. I can then also pull the world and I could find far more people who would say that Tinder is filled with narcissists and manipulators and cheaters and people who just want sex. And I'm like, well, the world has all of these varieties of people and the tool itself can be used in a way that is toxic for sure. And It's fascinating how some people, because no one gets like a special installed version of Tinder that has just toxic people. But if I ask people, they'd be like, no, mine is flawed. Mine has a virus. Everyone else's is great. But they end up in relationship with the same type of people. And the other people end up in relationship with a different type of person. So it shows you that there's just what some people code as red flags. Other people code as green flags, Mm -hmm. which that means we need to do the work to figure out like, what are we missing that other people see? Where do we accept low accountability, like poor behavior, breadcrumbs, where other people are like, this inconsistent communication is actually a red flag. 
which is where we can take control of our experience, right? So how so, do we do it? Let's do it. Let's so, rock it. I'm going to install Bumble right now. No, I'm do just it. I'm not. <laughs> you know, but, but before I even go into that, I just want to say, like, you're relying on algorithm to show you people, right? Like, yeah, right. You're putting all these filter filters in, and then and then an algorithm is doing the work to show you people. So it might matter, and and I don't know because I don't have the data, and I'm not looking at, at the data, but it might matter how you're interacting on on these apps because that might be contributing to your personal algorithm, right? So just something to keep oh, in mind. True. I like the science back end, but okay. So shifting experiences. I like to talk to people about establishing their own personal set of dating ethics mm-hmm. so they can lead ethically in their dating life. And how they behave. And, right. So in how Fuck they behave, yeah. because like we that. can't control other people. We will never be able to control other people. So what? We could, I know. God. Isn't that crazy? I know. People get mad at me when I say that. That's like, such sorry. bullshit. <laughs> it is such bullshit. <laughs> and also like, the greatest gift of awareness right, ever. Right. Who fucking invented that? What a, <laughs> what a jerk. Um, <laughs> so so we talk about, you know, crafting your personal set of dating ethics, things that you can lead with so that you have more of a control over your experience as a dater. Okay. So when we do that, we talk about your value system and like what, what your values are. Cause maybe you can try to find like what your ethics are out of your values. And two questions that I ask are, how do you want to feel as a dater? Mm-hmm. And how do you want other people, other people to feel when they're interacting with you? So if, if my ethical system as a human is I, I am a kind person. So I want to lead with kindness as I'm interacting with people, then I'm probably going to take some actions that align with that, right? Like I'm not going to blow people off. I'm not going to be rude. I'm, you know, I'm not going to ghost. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to ghost unless my safety is at risk, unless someone's harassing me, unless someone's sending me pictures I don't want. Right. Those are like the caveats to that situation. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to lead from my ethical system mm-hmm. and maybe that will shift my experience. Maybe it won't, but, but the hope is that it does. And that my, my personal experience is shaped by what I want and, mm-hmm. and what I'm looking for. I love it. And to get clear on what you want and who you are. Yeah. You know, I, I, when you said earlier that often you ask people like, what do you want? What's important to you? And they're like, uh, I don't know. What a great yeah. opportunity. It is because I think people go into dating with this idea of what they want and filters really don't help us with that. Right. Because we can say, I want someone between, you know, five, seven and five, 10 who works in this industry, who has red hair, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. okay. So, but, but you're not telling me like, what you're actually looking for quality wise in a person you're telling me how you're filtering people physically. Right. And, and the reality is someone could meet all of your physical requirements, but once they're in front of you, you might not have a connection with them at all. So ditching the checklist is like another thing that I think we really have to commit to. Um, and I think that could be an ethic, like, like an ethic for someone too. Like I'm no longer going to lead with my checklist of 50 like items. Like the physical things. Well, yeah. Or, or the like, job. Or, or the, yeah, the job, yeah. like, you know, whatever it is. And don't let, don't swipe 
or let your genitals lead you. You know, that's the other thing is like, just because you have fucking chemistry doesn't mean you need to bang them and date them. Unless, so- You want to bang them. Right. So so like the sex therapist in me is saying, unless you are really just on dating apps to have casual sex and have honor casual that, relationship. Though. Yeah, honor it. Be upfront Don't about lie. it. Don't, Don't lie. Don't time. Be very clear. I'm just here to meet people, to have sexual relations with, you know, whatever. That's and that's okay. Fine. That's great. Totally okay. Get, get the coconut oil out. Do whatever you need to do. <laughs> the thing that I find, okay, so that brings up a really interesting thing that I see over and over again, mm-hmm. which we have this I would I would imagine it's more cultural in North America, but maybe it's a saying in other European or Arabic. I don't know. Maybe maybe it is. But this is one I know in the United States and Canada for sure, which is actions over words. Like ah. right. And so I instantly tell people, no, it's not about that. It's not about like because if someone tells you they don't want a relationship and they're treating you like they care about you because they actually do but they don't want a relationship, you would then, if you believe actions over words, let him prove it or her prove it, then you will fall to the ignoring of information that they were very honest with you that they don't want a relationship. So for me, it's a, it's a giant red flag when words and actions don't line up. It's oh. not a red flag to like fucking run for the hills. It's a red flag to just get curious, ask questions. Absolutely. And, and when we have, so, so it's, it's that kind of behavior. And and I'm going to use your example of someone Mm -hmm. saying that they don't want a relationship, but they're treating you as if they want a relationship. It's that kind of behavior that fucks people up, right? Like it's, it's this, it's this mentality of, oh, well, maybe I'll be the one that changes that. Look how they're treating me. Like, they obviously want to be in this relationship with me, but their words are telling me otherwise, right? But that that's the kind of stuff that creates dating trauma, right? Uh, like like this, self-abandonment. This, absolutely. It's a hundred percent self self-abandonment. Oh, I get so upset. Sorry. Me too. And <laughs> and I get upset because what also is happening there is a trap that's being set by the person who's not honoring their own dating intention. Which is unethical. Yes, right? which is like which you is get to unethical. stand on your righteous throne later and be like, yeah. but I was so good to them and I did all these things and they treated me like a partner. They told you the truth. Yeah. And you ignored it probably because you learned that somewhere to ignore the truth, to yes. get connection. So probably. I have so much empathy and compassion for that. And yeah. what a healing opportunity. Pay it attention. Is. It is. And and it's such an opportunity for two people to start holding themselves accountable to their behaviors. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, but why I, am, do you do, do you think there's something ethically? Because for me, if someone said I don't want a relationship and they're just operating in the world with intimacy, and they're saying I don't want a relationship, there to me, I don't know that there's an ethical issue there. They're treating someone with kindness and respect. They're getting their needs met and they're being honest. And maybe it's a wall, but that's a, they're in black and white being honest. I think that they're being honest. And I do think that they need to be aware of how their actions are impacting the other person. Yes. Right. So if you're, so let's, let's, let's talk about attachment for a second. So, and, and not everyone knows this information. So, and, and that's okay. Like, I don't expect people to understand this part, but 
let's say you are that person who's just like, hey, I don't really want a relationship. I just want something casual. But you are doing this with someone who is anxiously attached. They're, that person with the anxious attachment is going to be internally losing their minds because the information is conflicting to them, right? Mm-hmm. So I think part of this is people really being educated about relationships and dynamics and their attachment styles and being very, very clear about what it looks like for them to, in this situation, date casually and to be very clear with boundaries around that and to really be able to pick up on, huh, I think this person might be you know, falling for me or like wanting to spend, you know, too much time with me and I should be curious about them and ask kind of where they're at. So I'm not leading that person on and they don't feel let on. Maybe that's too much to ask of people. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think it's a, it's important because it really brings into question or brings an invitation, not into question, an invitation into what is the level of integrity that yeah. you will hold yourself to, even if it's higher than the general population holds themselves to. Like, mm-hmm. I think about the other person who says, who in deep down wants a relationship, but agrees to casual, that self-abandonment. It is. And it's probably because they learn to minimize their need to get a need met. So yeah. I get it. Absolutely. And it's still misrepresentation and unethical. But it, it comes from a place of, of course, like, I don't believe I'm going to get what I want. So there's self-worth yeah. living yeah. in the choices. It it comes from a place of being deeply injured, right? Yeah. And and if they haven't done the work, then their ability to even see that is is diminished, right? Mm-hmm. And if if they're looking to get their attachment needs met and corrected or, you know, whatever it is, they might attach to anyone who's going to give them attention, whether it's the attention they want or not. Man, I say all of this with compassion because I've played Absolutely. all these roles. That's why oh, I can see it so well. I'm like, oh no, I know the dances of language. I had a friend who said to me once, I was seeing this girl casually and it was very explicit about that. Not the actual casual nature. There was nothing too crazy going on there. But the the actual dating, we were explicit about the language and the agreement. And my friend said to me, if you told her that you wanted a relationship, would she want one? And I was like, yeah, probably. And he was Mm -hmm. like, so how do you want to live your life? Mm -hmm. Do you want to dance in the spaces where other people can't honor themselves? Because now that you know what you just said, can you actually consciously in your own integrity be with her anymore? And I was like... Oh God, no, I can't. And I started to see this new level of integrity I wanted to operate by, which was imagine if, which this can sound a little codependent. So this is why I'll bring it forward is I don't want to take responsibility for their inability to take responsibility for their own intentions. No, but what a gift it is. That also sounds righteous, but let's just get to it. That what a gift it is to say, I feel like you're not honoring you now. And I want to honor you too, which is taking responsibility for their behavior, but it's also saying, I don't feel ethically okay doing this because I feel like you're actually abandoning yourself for me. And I feel that in the intimacy, I feel that in the experience. And doesn't it then become your ethical dilemma? 
if yeah. you if if you are aware of this of of their potential in awareness unaware you know and and continue to live in that situation with them knowing that they might be abandoning themselves and that you're just contributing to the problem i think it's that becomes I started more to see it. yeah i started to see how i was doing that to get my needs met and also yeah. people who dance in the space cuz i certainly was doing this i was dancing in the space of intimacy because i was avoidant of true intimacy i was getting like seen but for a fleeting moment and not that short of a time. Let's right. come on, give me some credit here. Five <laughs> minutes. But the the thing was, I remember this would happen to me is if someone told me they liked me, my stomach would get sick. I'd like run for the hills after it was after a pretty bad breakup. And in hindsight, I look and I'm like, whoa, I was so afraid of someone loving me. Like I was terrified of actually all the women I ran from were fantastic women, like the most amazing, most loving, most kind. And you could tell they de they really wanted me to be able to show up and to receive them. And gosh, in hindsight, I wish I could have. I really wish I could have. But I did not believe I was worthy of it. And I also thought that if I let them love me, they would trample on me, betray me, lie to me. I'd lose myself. So I think in a lot of times when we are like dancing in that space of casual, which can be incredibly fun and all those things, mm -hmm. it can also be a real good wall, a real good intimacy Absolutely. block. How do you differentiate between those two in your work with people? Between casual and intimacy? Like, like self-abandoning like casual versus yeah. casual that's intentional because that's, you know, in my experience now being single, I haven't, I haven't gone into the intimate world uh, yet. and what I am, I've been reading Dr. Salman's book, Taking Sexy Back, mm -hmm. and it's part of the book club we're doing right now. And what I've really enjoyed was bumping up against my ideas of morality and like projected morality versus values and virtues that are true from within and being open to those being renegotiated. And what does that mean? And it makes me feel a little confused and a little bit of shame, like, like future shame if I make a choice that is um, for sexual needs? You know, I, when, when people kind of present to me, like I, I want casual sex and I don't want anything serious. I'm just curious about, you know, tell me more about what you don't want in like a serious situation, right? Like what mm -hmm. is it about a serious committed relationship that doesn't seem appealing to you right now? What seems appealing about more casual sex? Like how do you plan on, you know, moving forward in that realm, like, how are you going to be honest with people about that? Like, really kind of just being curious with their choices and their narrative around one versus the other. And mm -hmm. for the most part, people can be very clear about why they're making those choices. But it's like when when I get like the list of, oh, well, I'm just like too busy, or I don't want to deal with people or, you know, this or that. And I'm like, well, if you're going to get into casual relationships, like, it's going to take your time away and you're still going to be dealing with people. So that, that like, doesn't make sense to me. Like help me understand a little more. Right. Like, and, and honestly, if someone were to come to me and I, I would probably know some of their background already. So I, mm -hmm. I'd be able to challenge them around like their family of origin trauma. And if they have any attachment issues and like, if they have patterns of like fleeing the scene, for example, or like avoiding things like, that's that's when the red flags kind of pop for me with with clients, and that's where I kind of dig in with them to see 
you know, where their decision is actually coming from. Yeah, when I think about it, like just in as you ask those questions, I'm like, okay, what is it that is about seriousness? Probably yeah. one, because I don't want to hold the space for seriousness right now. I just don't want to. That's just actually like, I just feel that I don't want to. And, that's and okay. that feels authentic and real and not yep. avoidant. So I can yep. check in with that. Uh, and the other side that comes up for me is that, uh, and uh, and then when you followed up with the other questions, I'm like, oh, there's some. Because um, <laughs> I, I don't want, like, I don't want to deal with all the emotional needs. But at the same time, when you're being intimate with someone, what I find fascinating is there's there is a requirement in my books, at least, that there's explicit communication about expectations, understanding Absolutely. what you need for aftercare, you know, like, but then the interesting thing is if you say to someone like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated, I'm interested in this, this is what I can provide, here's what I'm available for, and you let them be an adult and choose. But then if you treat them with really great explicit communication, they then feel seen and heard in a way they've often never experienced. So then they're yeah. like, they this must want a relationship. And it's right. like, oh, God. So it's an interesting conundrum and also one that I'm just fascinated by in human behavior. I, you know, and, and this is all assuming that people can have these very adult, mature conversations around sexuality and intimacy. Right? Yeah. Not a lot of us have skills built around which is another thing that we try to talk with people about in our dating workshops is like, how do you have adult, mature sexual conversations, not just from your value system, but from your like levels of sexual health, right? Like, especially in like a casual situation, like if, if you are signing up for casual sex with someone, well, how do you talk about safety and whether you're sleeping with, with, with other partners and how you're going to let the other person know about that, if that does happen, uh-huh. you know, all of the boundaries associated with a, a casual sex situation that we all need to be very, you know, clear around if, if, we're, if we're going to be having these kinds of relationships. So our sexual health can be protected. And if you can't have those conversations about, healthy sexuality, what our boundaries are, et cetera, et cetera, then should you be in those uh, sexual situations? I don't know. Well, yeah, because you're self-abandoning in the silence. And uh, not that long ago, but years ago, I remember being intimate with this woman and it was very good communication, all that kind of stuff. And I remember in the moment wanting to... And now we knew each other's history. There was some communication around that. But there wasn't in, you know, in that revisiting, there wasn't like a conversation ahead of time. There was an assumption that both of us were, you know, clean, that we had. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And and then actually before I remember in my gut being like, use protection, use that. If my mom's listening, don't worry. I'm a good <laughs> Catholic. Um, I'm not. That's a lie. But the... The interesting thing was in the moment of intimacy, I only observed this really after, I wanted to express that I should go get protection, but I didn't want to disturb the moment. Mm-hmm. And I feared it would affect my performance, her experience. And so I didn't. And then I was left with leaving the experience and communicated all this. Mm-hmm. I was left feeling shame. Oh, yeah. 
And I was also feeling, one, I didn't protect my own health. And I also didn't protect hers in my in that experience. And what was really fascinating is I experienced a lot of grief because I felt all the times that I'd put connection ahead of my health, a fleeting moment ahead of a future. And I got to tell you, you know that saying, if it's hysterical, it's historical. I certainly had like an extremely grieving response in my own and shame, healthy shame, that was like, you have learned to not jeopardize your future and your health. And yet you just did it. And it was the last time I did that because it was so heavy and it was so like I started to see that other people's discomfort or other people's experience I was putting ahead of my own. And so I was codependency was living within even that. So I thought I'd share that because I'm sure people listening are like, oh, fuck. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I want to say to that in terms of like stopping a moment of connection to, you know, get a condom mm-hmm. or like whatever we're talking about in terms of protection. It was a condom. It was a condom. Okay. So a condom. Um, <laughs> so a condom. Um, <laughs> how, how sexy is it that someone can stop and say, hey let's just like protect ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I think, I think that is a, an erotic sexual act in itself. And my hope is that the narrative shifts even around that part. Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. disrupt anything. I don't want to throw off the vibe. Well, it's like, Hey, it's part of the vibe. Like it's part of the vibe to be like, let's just put a condom on and like continue moving. And if, Hey, we don't have one, then let's go out and get one and come back and revisit. The yeah. party, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that, but but I get that fear of like disrupting and losing like the passion in the moment. I totally get that. That's so human. But then the, then the big question is, and kind of what you're, you're like attaching meaning to and, and, and your experience is, how am I going to feel after if I don't do this? Oh man, I can, I viscerally can remember how I felt, which was completely self-abandoned. Yeah, and and communicated it that I was both experiencing grief after and connection, but I couldn't even experience the joy and the graciousness of the connection because yeah, it did suck. But it also taught me a real good cosmic two by four to the head of like, you know. And I think about this a lot that I'm very lucky that a lot of choices I've made have not led to certain consequences, and not everyone gets the grace of that and fuck am I blessed to even be able to say that? I even know that. And not, and it's like, if you can learn from my own shame and my own mistake, please learn from it because you don't need to end up in a space where you feel the same. And if you've ever felt that level of shame or self-abandonment, learn from it because in all, in all, like I started to really analyze and study shame in this space of like, in that context, you know, healthy shame is literally learning that a better choice is available to you. It's just mm-hmm. learning that a better behavior is available to you should you take it. And then what happens is knowledge becomes wisdom. It becomes integrated. Oh, I love that. Oh, I remember that. That was I a good that. young me is like, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That great. And and that's how we grow, right? So those experiences as 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 difficult as they are 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 the things that we need to grow and move forward and, and make healthier decisions in, in our lives. So as much as it sucked, it sounds like you needed that to happen. I, 100%. Of it course. was like another rock right. bottom. Of it course. was a deep one. Of course. In your experience, once you teach people 
or or sorry, I guess discover what is someone's dating ethics and values. Mm-hmm. Then what is the way or what agreements do you create or, or how do you maintain the accountability? Because I'm sure in seeing you, there is an accountability that's inherent in the relationship. Yeah. But what else? So, so it's, there's a difference between like people coming to a workshop and people who are like my active client, right? Like if it's my active client, you're right. Like I'm going to hold them accountable. (laughs) So when they talk to me about, you know, the dates that they're going on and I'm, I'm aware because we've had a conversation around what their ethics are and why those are their ethics. And then I ask Mm -hmm. them, so did you, did, did your actions align with your ethics on this date or with this person Mm -hmm. or as you were communicating with them? And most people are honest with me and they'll tell me yes or no, or they'll say, I did a good job up until this point. And I'll ask, okay, well, tell me what happened. Like, why did you abandon your, your ethical system? And I get some really, you know, thoughtful answers. And a lot of it comes from like anxiety, fear Mm -hmm. in terms of like why they stopped following their ethical system. And then we go back to, okay, so let's talk, like, let's problem solve and talk about how we can make this better for next time because you be, because you're learning. And yes. and and I also have to, you know, remember that it's very courageous to come into therapy for for dating stuff and for therapy in general and and to say help me figure out how I can date better and have a different experience and then to learn new things like ethical systems when it comes to your dating because not everyone thinks this way. So it takes a lot of courage to actually build a system and then put it in place. And I give people a lot of credit for that because it's new. It's, it's, it's a new behavior. It's so beautiful. It's such reclamation of self. It's so empowering to say, this is who I am and this is what I stand for. And I will not abandon what I stand for, for you. Absolutely. And then, yeah. And, and it, and it can shift your experience. And I think that's, that's the biggest reward, right? Of, now I have this thing that I can lead with and mm. it has shifted my relationship to dating, which is what I wanted in the first place. Right. Again, make it fun and light it, and right. Like make it exciting again. Like whether or not you meet someone, right. People who are shitty are always going to be shitty. We, we, we can't control that, but we can mm. filter for it in a different way. We can change our relationship to how people treat us. We can detach ourselves from that in in a healthy way and move on, right? We can lead with what we're looking to lead with, whether it's kindness or equality or, you know, making sure that we don't ghost on anyone ever, whatever the ethic is. Yeah. And we can essentially shift how we relate to dating. And, you know, overall, if if that shifts like the narrative from uh I have to go back on a dating app, spend three months. I should probably do that again to, huh, it's been a while. I should go back on a dating app. Like I like to Who knows who's out there. Yeah. Who knows what's out there? Exactly. Like that's such a shift in, in narrative that I think people can really use right now, considering that I think toxic dating culture is like taking over and it's kind of scaring me a little bit. You know, if we all, if I went right now and sat, let's just say it, I feel like a wine bar is a good place to sit and observe. Oh, oh, I have stories about that. Go go on. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking like when I sit, I mean, naturally people tend to tell me about their relationship experience and Um, what's, yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) And then you get the added sex stuff. 
which yeah. is great. I'd like to uh. hear more about that, you know? <laughs> um, but what's I find is that groups of people love to complain rather than celebrate, especially yeah. about dating. Like, insert the fucking city. I guarantee most people who are not, they go, oh, dating in blah is so bad. And, and it's I'm all like, the same. It doesn't it's matter. all the same shit. Right. It's just that when you believe that, you're going to see it. You're going to swipe exactly. right to people who validate that. You're going to tolerate bullshit behavior. It's like, become the person you seek. Like, if you hold a standard of behavior and you f- stay in that, no one can pull you out of that. Like, literally, another person's behavior cannot make you not have value for yourself unless you take on their behavior as validating your value or not. Absolutely. And I want to add to this. If yes. you are in a social circle, for example, where the narrative collectively of people who are dating in your social circle is negative. Why would you drink? Not You have to drink wine. So if you're going to drink wine, you're not right. going to do it over fun dating experiences. No. And, and if you're looking to these people for relationship advice, who are yeah. also having the same potential yeah. experiences and doing the same things as you are, you're not changing you're not even giving yourself an opportunity to shift how you show up in these dating and dating situations. So Good even point. that, like shift your social circle. I, and I don't mean like ditch them. I mean, like start a new you conversation. Can, I mean, you can, if you need to, <laughs> yeah. I, I highly suggest cutting toxic people out of your life. Just but, go to them when you want to complain about life. Right. Right. Because my fear is even in that situation, like if you do bring something positive, are they going to cut it down? I don't know. Yeah, I'm you're just a- lucky. It's because blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Thursday. People date differently on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. You just got lucky that day. I mean, there's a Mercury's in retrograde. Mercury's in Gatorade, so that's why it was positive. Mercury in retrograde. <laughs> don't even get me started. So my friend, Jeremy Goldberg, he's funny. He has a whole bunch of them, and he says, Mer- he has one, Mercury's in duck flambe. He has a, he's got so many good ones. Oh, that's really good. Um, so... In that context, though, that's the fascinating thing is that we surround ourselves, when we're conscious of it, we can see that we surround ourselves with people who have similar beliefs and values and narratives. Like, if all of a sudden you change the narrative or challenge the collective narrative of your friendship group, even in terms of behavior, if everyone smokes and one person stops smoking, it challenges the value system of the friendship group, which is not to shame smoking, although you should probably quit. The it, What it is to say is that that's a very easy behavior to identify as being influential on other people. But that's true of what how we see the world and our beliefs about love and relationship. And if the if the outcomes you're getting in life and relationship are different than what you say you want, then you know that there's a belief that's active, that's working its way through your unconscious, that is operating your life differently. And that's why it's so important. Like all the questions you're asking, what do you value? What, who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? Did you show up in your values? How do we ensure that you do? If you were to do this in the future, what would be you in your values? Those questions are so important because it's really like you get to choose. They are so important. And again, if you're surrounding yourself with people who are not asking themselves these questions, then they're not growing either. And that that provides potential for you not growing. Something that we do in these workshops, and, and I've, I've got to say, we've had some very courageous people come into these dating workshops, total strangers, 
and pour themselves out. Like they're very vulnerable about yeah. their experiences. It creates the sense of community be- be- between all these people and how difficult it is to date. And we can see the like we can see the narrative. Like we can see like like the negative narrative, like kind of you know flowing through these participants. And then that's where we have the opportunity to change the narrative with them and say, yeah. okay, we hear you, we get it. Becca and I, the the uh, woman who who does the workshops with me we've both been in the dating scene. So we really get it. So we have this really great opportunity of saying, all right, so here's some different work. Why don't you get into some groups and let's, let's talk about how you can show up differently as a dater instead of like complaining about your previous, previous experiences. Like we, we get it. You're here because dating sucks for you, right? Mm -hmm. Let's, let's help you change it. And let's, as a group, shift how you kind of work towards your own dating experience together. So it feels more positive. Mm, I love that, that we're like, okay, let's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when they study lucky people, of course, part of the comparator of this. Yeah. This is some research. I remember they presented in my um, positive psychology program. And one of the, so it's the article is called, and I believe he has a book, but it's called the luck factor. And we'll put it in the show notes, but what's fascinating about it is he went out and asked unlucky people to be studied. And of course, unlucky people are like, yeah, let me validate how unlucky I am. That'd be great. And and then they studied lucky people and they studied what lucky people did and then taught it to unlucky people and they became lucky. And it was so much about how they made their way through the world. It was that, you know, one, there was a couple uh, examples, but I remember one is the guy said that at parties, he would talk, he would tend to gravitate, I believe he said, towards like the most attractive woman at the party or something like that. And instead, he made a rule that he'd only talk to people who had a certain colored shirt. And so he ended up in conversations he never would have been in. And I think that is such a cool thing is to, as you said, go do new things, go try new things. And when you do that, you put your energy into this place where you're creating your own adventures and you are being who you seek. And then you're not seeking to find someone to complete you. You are already complete. And then as you're making your way through the world, you're not trying to coerce the universe. You're not trying to manipulate it. And then the shit shows up. Not the shit, but the good stuff. The, the good, good stuff. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's not a novel idea to like go out into the world and do new things to meet people. Right. Like that's, that's not new, right? But the problem is we're afraid to do that. Like I, like, a lot of the feedback I get is it's weird to talk to people in bars now. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah. 10 years ago, that was like what people did. And like, why all of a sudden people smoked not okay. I know. I know not, well, not in Chicago anymore. Right. Like that, that, that was the best change ever. Anyway, oh my God. It's the best. No <laughs> best offense. Smokers. I, I no offense. But I just I don't want to hang out in a club while you smoke. No, I have very curly hair people. It like absorbs all the smells. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So, so it's, I, I, I hear these, like, these, like, these, like, walls, right? Like, no one talks to each other in bars anymore. Oh, yeah. It's weird to walk up to someone and say hello. It's, you know, it's awkward. To do. I'm like, well, then I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> because, yeah. like, all of these things require that you take risks. If you want a different experience, you have to take a risk. It might not, it might not give you what you're looking for but you at least took a risk. And how fucking cool is that? Like you did something that you're afraid of. 
Yeah. And then you're not attached to the outcome. You know, the victory is not in the outcome. It's in the process. As they say, I believe in AA. It's not about, it's about progress, not perfection. And it's like, if you are showing up and making your way in the world in that way where you are willing to take courageous leaps, to know that this moment shall pass. And if you don't take the moment to be courageous, there's a, you know, that movie, uh, Let's Build the Zoo, I believe it's called. I've seen it. Yes, yes, yes. There's a scene in it where the character says, anyone is able is capable of finding just 20 seconds of absolute courage, and that's all it takes to change your life. And I think about yeah. that a lot of like, how hard is it to just dig in and start that conversation, end that conversation, s- initiate that boundary, end that relationship, start that relationship, like all the things that we are are avoiding. And I read a quote today, I don't know who it was from, but it said, what you fear is is like where you need to direct your life. Not in the context of like survival fears, but right. fears that are like, I'm afraid of being seen. I'm afraid of using my voice. I'm afraid of, uh, you know, whatever it is. Such a beautiful quote. Such that beautiful is quote. that is really beautiful. I did get it wrong, but you That's get okay. It. I I I hear it. And if if we're not taking risks, then we're not growing. And if we're not growing, then what are we doing? I and we're dying. Right. And and something I, even with like the couples I work with. There, there are a lot of them that are so injured that they're unwilling to take risks with each other anymore because they're so afraid of what the outcome is going to be. And that's some of the hardest work for people to do is, is like to learn to take a risk again with someone that they've trusted and who they don't mm-hmm. trust anymore for whatever reasons. Um, that, that is truly hard work. And, yeah, and for is. people who are dating, who feel like they've been put through the ringer over and over again and to ask them to find the courage to take a risk so they could potentially have a different experience. That is hard work, but it's worth it. It is so worth it. Amen. You know, the restructuring of self-worth, it's not in the outcome. It's in how I show up and who I'm being. Am I, if I'm living at my highest level of ethics and values, no one can take me that away from me. No, they can't. They can't. It's yours and it's, and it's protected and it's how people are going to remember you in, in terms of how you impacted them, right? Like even mm-hmm. if it's a dating experience that doesn't work out, if someone can walk away from you and say, you know what, they were like a really good person or very pleasant or very kind and respectful and, you know, it just, this just wasn't a good fit for us, then, then that's great. Like it, it heals you and it heals that person and they can move on not, not feeling like, They've been, you know, stuck in the gross dating cycle again. They can feel maybe a little hopeful and so can you. And that's where my hope is centered in, in how maybe collectively as a culture, we can start shifting the dating experience again towards a more ethical and respectful experience outside of what it's becoming. Well, we can only shift that by shifting in individually. You know, it's like, as you're saying, like, I can't shift and say, well, I'll shift if you shift. No. No. Like, I'll shift because me shifting shifts me. And then Mm -hmm. it will shift the experience of someone else. If all of a sudden I go, you know what? It wasn't a good match, but they were so kind. I don't need to ghost them. Mm-mm. I can literally just say, look, I'm not for everybody and everyone's not for me. We already know that's true. Yeah. So when you say to someone, it was such a pleasure meeting you 
or maybe it wasn't, but in the case it was, it was such a pleasure meeting you. And I just don't feel there's a romantic match for me. Good luck with your search. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Their reaction to that is actually very telling. It is very telling. And people will have negative reactions to that. You could craft the most beautiful, thoughtful text to someone or say something to someone that's very respectful. And their their reaction might not be the reaction that you're hoping for, but you have no control over that. And that's their work to mm-hmm. do, not yours. It's not yours to fix that or repair it or to apologize. It's you you did what what you ethically said to yourself that that you would do. And that's all that we can ask of you. Amen. Setting high fucking standards. I like that. <laughs> that's Setting right. Setting high standards by being the standard. Yeah. Be the standard. Stop contributing to weird dating culture. Stop doing weird shit. <laughs> Stop. Okay. Stop that's it. amazing. Where do people find you? And thank you so much for being here, Michelle. I've been long awaiting. I feel like it's been a, yeah, I feel like, you know, it's been a long courtship. We got you yeah. here. I'm so yeah. excited that you're here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having we'll me. We'll definitely be having you back on because, I mean, I'm sure people are going to be like, holy, I need more of this wisdom. So thank you. Thank you. Um, where can people find me? Let's see. They can find me on Instagram at Chicago Sex Therapy. And Whoa, yeah. oh, I know. Um, and my website, which is liveandlovemindfully.com. And again, we're a practice in Chicago that does relationship and sex therapy. Perfect. We'll put the links to be. (laughs) It's such a fun place. place We'll put it in. We'll put it in uh, the show notes. So everyone go check out Michelle. She's so funny. Your Instagram, you're funny. So let's, uh, let's all change the dating landscape. Shift the world. Do it now. Boom. (laughs) Thanks Michelle. Bye.